0: Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. One of the things that uh, that we do when we go back to Minnesota, my wife's family, is uh, we watch Hallmark movies. It's the only thing left on TV. Yeah, well, anyway, so it's a, it's a thing, um, and there are a lot of those movies. I don't know if, if you know that. There are a, an awful lot of those Hallmark movies. So, yeah, in keeping in fashion, one of the evenings we were back there. This is the night we're going to watch the movie, and so we're, uh, uh, we're all there in, the, uh, in this little den area with the fireplaces uh, blazing away, and uh, we're all there except for Jody, and she's running around. She's doing some last-minute stuff and she says go ahead and start the movie i'll catch up and my sister-in-law says no we can't do that because there is something that happens at the very beginning of the movie and if you miss that you're going to it's just, it's not going to be the same so we waited can you imagine Walking in to a, to a movie after it's already started. Say you're watching a two-hour movie and, and you walk in, uh, it's already been running for a half an hour. I mean, just, you know I mean? you're playing catch-up to try to figure out who the players are and, and, and whatnot. Uh, and you get about halfway through the movie and then you get up and you leave. It's like, well, that's kind of a little exercise in futility. If you're, if you're only going to watch a part of the movie, you don't know the beginning, you don't know the ending. Uh, can you imagine somebody saying, oh, wow, oh, I got this great book that I want you to read. This 10-chapter book, it's great. You, you need to read it. But I'm only going to give you the third chapter. And they rip out the third chapter and they hand it to you, and they never give you the rest of the book. It's like, well, what's with that? Well, that's kind of how I felt when I read the book of Philemon. Well, it's not really a book. It's a it's a letter, uh, it's in the Bible, uh, and if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open to the Book of Philemon or the Letter of Philemon. It's the third shortest book in the Bible, twenty five verses. You can you can find it. We spent about a year in in, in uh, Hebrews. It's right before Hebrews, so that'll give you kind of a kind of a. Uh, but you have this you have this one page. Letter in the Bible titled Philemon, and uh, there's so much information that we don't have. The only way that we can legitimately approach it is to do some speculation about about what happened before and even what happened afterwards. But it is a fascinating twenty. Five verses and I'm going to read it to you this, mor- this morning you can, you can go home and say you'll not believe it the, the pastor read an entire book of the Bibles in church today oh man how long were you there well that's yet to be determined uh, <laughs> so I invite you to join me as I read the entire letter of Philemon Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son While I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I... I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Aristarchus, uh, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. When we approach uh, uh, a, a bit of scripture like this, uh, I think we have to ask ourselves, what do we know and what don't we know? And what we don't know, unfortunately, is a whole lot more than what we know. And yet we're still able, because of some pieces that have been put in there, we're kind of able to uh, to paint a, a bit of a portrait to understand what's going on here. So we start with Philemon. Who is this guy? Well... Uh, we know that uh, he, had to be, uh, uh, he had to be fairly wealthy. Uh, we know that he owned servants. We know that he's a follower of Christ. And we know that the church uh, met in his home. And that's what the church did back then. The church really didn't have buildings until the third century. Uh, Constantine. That was his, uh, that was his great uh, uh, contribution to Christianity. You can now build buildings. And you know what? That was a probably not the best day in the life of the of the church because at that point we begin to uh, we we begin to conflate the the church with the institution. And I've said it many many times: uh, we we don't go to church because that's right. We are the church. And so the, the, the church is the people that gather together and, and figure out what it means to follow Christ and encourage one another and, and to, to, to do good deeds and, and to live out their faith in meaningful ways. That's what the church did. Uh, and back then, they would meet in someone's home. Uh, house churches, that's a thing that's kind of coming back these days. As people, you know, we want to get away from the institutional the institutional church, and get back to the roots of what it really means to be community. And there's some merit in that. I'm not saying that there isn't. You know, the institution has strengths. It has weaknesses. That's a sermon for another day. Uh, uh, So we know those things. We know those things about about Philemon. Uh, Now, we also know that uh, Philemon became a Christian under Paul, probably when when Paul was uh, in Ephesus. Now, uh, fast forward, Paul gets arrested you know, for preaching the gospel, and uh, actually a couple of times, but, but ultimately uh, he appeals to Caesar, and to Caesar, you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you go, and we know that Paul, if you're a student of the Bible, you read the book of Acts, you know he finds himself in Rome, and once he's in Rome, he's basically under house arrest. He's in chains. He can't go anywhere, but he's got people that are coming in and out and visiting him and providing for him. Uh, because back then, if you were a prisoner of Rome and you didn't have friends on the outside, you went hungry. And so there were people that were ministering to, to Paul's physical needs uh, as he uh, shared the gospel with the guards and anybody else uh, who would listen. And, and while he was in prison, he wrote four letters. He wrote four letters. He wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. He wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. He wrote a letter to the church in Colossae, which is where we think Philemon lived. Philemon lived in Colossae. And he also wrote this little letter to Philemon. Those are the four epistles that are known as the prison epistles. So Paul writes this letter, Uh, uh, to Philemon, Uh, Philemon had a slave. That slave's name was Onesimus. And being a slave is no fun anytime, anywhere. Now, we'll we'll talk a little bit about slavery. Uh, I'll talk about it in just a little bit. Uh, uh, But uh, Onesimus is a a slave who runs away. Uh, We assume that he runs away. And the distance between Colossae and Rome is a, a little over a thousand miles. How does a slave manage to travel a thousand miles? And why would a slave travel a thousand miles? Well, again, we're going we're to conjecture a little bit here, based again on, on some of the uh, inferences that we have in this, in this little letter, uh, that when... When Onesimus left the household of Philemon, he probably stole some money or something of value to help finance his trip to Rome. And why, why go to Rome? At that time, the population of Rome was about 25% slaves. In the Roman Empire, it has been estimated that in the entire Roman Empire, there was somewhere uh, between 25 and 30% Of the population. That's about 60 million people who were slaves. And so the idea of if I can just make it to Rome, I can blend in. Uh, Actually, uh, Seneca, uh, in his memoirs, writes that uh, uh, there was a time when uh, somebody presented a bill before the Roman Senate to require all slaves to wear. Uh, uh, an identifying garment so that they could be differentiated from the Roman population. That measure went down in flames because they realized that if 25% of the people uh, could self-identify one another, that uh, that might incite uh, an, an insurrection. And so rather have them blend in than to congregate and turn against us. So... Uh, Onesimus makes his way to uh, makes his way to Rome, and somehow he connects with uh, he connects with God or with uh, uh, with Paul. Now, he might have heard about Paul. He might have known. Of course, if the church met in, in Philemon's house, uh, and Paul was the one who kind of uh, led those people to the Lord in the first place, he 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 probably knew that Paul was uh, 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 in Rome. It, word might have gotten around in god's economy there are no accidents. Paul and Onesimus connect as Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus Holy Spirit does the, what the Holy Spirit does convinces Onesimus that he needs to become a follower of Christ he becomes a follower of Christ there is great rejoicing but at this point Paul knows that he is harboring a fugitive. Paul knows that the right thing to do is to send, Ones- send Onesimus back to Philemon. But he also knows that the penalties for a runaway slave are pretty harsh, even up to the point of receiving the death sentence. And so he writes this letter to his dear friend Philemon on behalf of, Noma- of uh, Onesimus, so that that kind of that kind of uh, gives you a l- little bit of a uh, a picture of, of of what's going on here. And when I first, what I want to look at today, I'm going to focus a little bit more on Philemon uh, than I am on Onesimus. As I as I first was looking at this book uh, and 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 trying to figure out how to present it, uh, two things came to mind immediately. Two things. Uh doing the right thing, number one, doing the right thing when it's easy. And and when I thought about doing the right thing when it was easy, and I'm looking at the characters in this letter, I'm thinking Philemon. Doing the right thing. What's the right thing to do? To forgive and to honor Paul's request? We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, uh, in just a just a second here. But in, juxtaposed to doing the right thing when it's easy, what about doing the right thing when it's hard? Doing the right thing when it's hard. And, and, and I thought of Onesimus. But I want to focus on doing the right thing when it's hard next week. So you've got to come back. Today I want to look at doing the right thing when it's easy. But is it really, is it really easy? <coughs> I asked myself, what does it cost Philemon to do the right thing? Let's look at the letter here a little more closely. As in the ancient uh, uh, culture, you started off a letter identifying who the writer was, who the, who the receiver was. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. Interesting language that Paul uses here. None of his other, other letters does he identify himself as a prisoner. Of Christ Jesus. He talks about an apostle. He talks about being a servant. Sometimes he talks about being a slave, but never a prisoner. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. I want to think that in using that language, Paul is giving a nod to the sovereignty of God. It's the Roman government who is holding him as prisoner. But he is not Caesar's prisoner. He is there because of the sovereignty of God. He was told before he even went into Jerusalem, you'll remember uh, one of the prophets came along and grabbed Paul's belt and tied, him, tied his hands up. And he says, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt if he goes to Jerusalem. And everybody's going, oh, we got to stop this, Paul. You can't do that. You can't go there. You're going to get arrested. Paul says, and you think that's a surprise to me? You don't think I know that? You don't think I've been prepared for this? I'm, I'm, I'm uh, reminded of, of Ananias uh, in Damascus when, when Paul shows up and he's blind and the church is rejoicing. Yay, he was a bad guy. And the Lord comes to Ananias and says, all right, you need to go lay hands on Paul so that he can receive his sight. And Ananias says, Lord, are you, are you sure about that? I mean, this guy's a bad guy. He says, really? I got this. I got this I've already showed Paul the suffering that he will go through as as, as my disciple Paul Paul knows so for him to be in prison in chains he's using, he's using that opportunity he's using that opportunity he's writing letters to friends and he's writing letters to churches that he planted and <coughs> he's sharing the gospel who will, who, with ever who will be around him and listening to the guards and and a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. A prisoner of Jesus Christ because God, Paul knows that God is sovereign and that, and that Paul is right where God would have him to be. W- what an insight for us because so often we want to think, well, you know what, If when this situation changes, I'll serve the Lord or I'll do this, win and that. The one that gets me all the time is somebody comes to me and they say, you know, talk about the lottery. You know, what what would you do if I won the lottery? Well, the first thing I would do if I won the lottery, I would give 10% to the Lord. Like, really? Do you give 10% to the Lord now? Well, if I won the lottery, I would do that. Yeah, yeah, right. So, but trusting, regardless of where you find yourself, to believe with all your heart that you are right where God wants you to be to take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to you. And that's the the idea behind ruthlessly eliminate hurry. To ruthlessly eliminate hurry is to be present with the Lord in the moment because the moment is all we have. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and worker, to to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, uh, and to the church that meets in your home. So this is a letter that's to Philemon, but it's to be read for everybody to hear. I also think that one of the things that Paul is doing here is is eliminating the power structure. I'm a prisoner. I'm the Lord's prisoner, but I'm in chains. I've got no power in this situation. When I look at power... The same way that I look at wisdom, and you'll remember from our time in the book of James, there is wisdom from above and there's wisdom from below. The same thing is true with power. There is power from above and there is power below. Power below is defined relationally in terms of, uh, uh, of, of a limited commodity. Power is limited uh, in, in earthly Uh, definitions. And your goal is to get 51% of the power in any given relationship so that no one has power over you. But see, in God's kingdom, power is not limited, it is unlimited. And it is given to us that we might empower others to become who Christ has created them to be. So Paul takes that power struggle differentiation off the table I am a prisoner here. I have no power. I have no authority in your life. I come to you as a friend. And Philemon is a friend. Philemon is one whom he led to the Lord. Uh, probably uh, uh, it's, it's thought that Apphia, uh, uh was Philemon's wife. Uh, uh, Archippus, a son, or maybe a first lieutenant, or you know, a, wh- whoever he was. We, these are some things that we, we won't know this side of eternity. The church that meets in their home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and then he then he talks about Philemon's faith. I always thank God in my prayers for you, uh, as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. And there's another word that we kind of get uh, uh, wrapped around the axle over the word saint. What? Who are the saints? You know, today, it depends on whose dictionary you're, you're, you're looking for a definition in. Uh, a saint is somebody that's high and lofty and has done amazing things for God, maybe a miracle or two or whatnot. But it, in, biblically speaking, a saint is simply somebody that belongs to Christ, somebody that has been set apart, somebody who has received the grace and forgiveness of the Lord, nothing more than that. And Paul, Paul notes that he has heard about Philemon's faith in the Lord and his love for all the saints, for all those who have been set apart by Christ, for all who are trusting uh, in the work of the cross for their salvation. I pray, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Paul is looking for Philemon to recognize that our faith must be active. There must be something in our lives that demonstrates what we believe. Again, going back to the time that we spent in James. James exhorts us to be both hearers and doers of the word. Our faith must make a difference in our lives. If our faith doesn't make a difference in our lives, it's not a faith worth having. It just isn't. I hear about your faith and your love for all the saints. And I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. And what is our working definition for the word love? To will the good of another. Jesus said, this commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. How did Christ love? He loved through service and through sacrifice. To will the good of another. Your love, Paul says of Philemon, your love, your willing of the good of another has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints, those who are called by Jesus Christ to forgiveness and salvation through the cross. Philemon's got to feel pretty good right about now. He's got a letter from Paul, his dear friend, an apostle, and then he reads the rest of the letter. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, Paul, as an old man and now a prisoner of Christ, I appeal to you for my own son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. I can't help but think that as, as Philemon read the name Onesimus, that his heart sunk. Maybe we don't know. Again, it's conjecture. Uh, 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 he was angry. Uh, maybe he was bitter, or resentful, that uh, that the slave ran away and, and took from him. And again, we'll, we'll talk about slavery here in just a, in just a minute. Uh, but but at that point, it's like, whoa, wait, 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 where where are, you, where are you going with this, Paul? I appeal to you for my own son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. How in the world has he become useful to me? Asks Onesimus. Boy, I would love to just sit down and chat with these guys and figure out, get the, get the back story of everything that's going on here. But I find it fascinating that Paul says in verse 9, I appeal to you on the basis of love. And this is a very important concept for us to wrap our minds around. Because the church has not always been real good at this. I appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul is going to put forth a persuasive argument to Philemon that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, it ought to be evidenced in your life. And the evidence in your life is going to look something like love for others. To serve and to sacrifice. To not think about yourself, but but to think about others. You see, love has to be freely given. It can never be coerced. And you know what the church has done that in the past. They've, they've, you know, in fact, you know, we talk about the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, basically, in most of the Spanish Inquisition was directed at the at the Jewish community, trying to make them convert to Christianity. Some of them did, but some of them did it just to avoid uh, being persecuted. You know, I said Constantine was the one that kind of uh, uh, created the institutional church, let them build buildings. It was his nephew, Theodosius, that came along and said, all right, everybody's got to be a Christian now. If you're not a Christian, you're going to get persecuted. Oh my gosh, think about what happened during the Crusades. You want to talk about the illogical workings out of Christianity, there's a prime example. You cannot trace back to the teachings of Christ anything that happened during the Crusades. It was awful. I read a book. Uh, it was a, a historical novel about, uh, about that time period. Uh, my favorite author, uh, Stephen Lawhead. And uh, I was reading an interview with him, and somebody asked him, he says, y- 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 did you have to be so graphic with regard to the bad things that people did during the Crusades in the name of the church and in the name of Christ? And Lawhead said, I held back. I held back. I mean, these guys were given carte blanche to do anything they wanted to do as long as they got to Jerusalem. And they were killing Christians because they looked different. They spoke different. They dressed different. So they would just kill them because they were told that they they had full immunity for anything that they did as a crusader as long as they got to Jerusalem. That's just baloney sausage, people. We can't live our faith that way. Christianity should never be force-fed to anyone. It's not about coercion. It's about persuasive speech and conduct. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and respect. Paul says, you know what, I could. I could twist your arm. I'm not going to do it. Because that's not what brothers in Christ do. That's not what sisters in Christ do. That's not what Christians do. Christians, we love one another. And if we appeal to someone's sensibilities, we appeal to it from the perspective of who Jesus Christ actually is in our lives. Formerly useless to you? Now useful to both of us. What does it cost Philemon to honor Paul's request? And what is Paul actually asking him to do? First and foremost, I think that Paul is asking him to extend forgiveness to Philemon, or to to Onesimus. How hard is that, to forgive? Well, what's it going to cost him to forgive? Well, it might cost him socially. It might cost him economically to just forgive. But what is he going to gain? He's going to gain spiritually. People are going to say, Philemon, oh, yeah, I saw that. What what, what a Christian thing to do. Now, it was, it was, it was challenging, and I get it. You know, again, first century uh, slavery was much different than slavery today is. Oh, my gosh, uh, um, it was different. I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, uh, I'm running out of time. Uh, what would the neighbors think? What would other slaves think? Is this going to start a chain reaction? How come, Paul, how come Paul just doesn't come right out and say, Hey, Philemon, as a, as a brother in Christ, you know that in Christ Jesus, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, free nor slave. The, the word emancipation is, is on his lips, but he never says it. Why not? If, if Paul at this point, it was such a, 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 a part of the, of the warp and woof of, of life in the, in the first century. Had Paul started a campaign to end slavery, Christianity would have been seen as a political movement. Instead of a spiritual movement. And it would have been crushed. But the seeds are planted. The seeds are planted in the gospel for emancipation for the end, of, uh, the end of slavery. And there's a lot of talk today about slavery and what it's done in this country and the after, uh, after effects of it. But, but let me make one thing perfectly, perfectly clear to you. When we outlawed slavery, when we made it illegal, the only thing we did was drive it underground. We drove it underground. It is estimated that there are more slaves in the United States today than there ever was when it was legal. Sex trade, domestic slavery, manufacturing slavery. It's going on and don't think it's not. We've driven it underground so now we can be respectable and talk about the land of the free and the home of the brave. And and I don't mean that as a slam on, on the United States because that is true worldwide. It's just more open in other parts of the world than it is here. Which means we still have work to do. So when I'm asking the question, what is the you know doing the right thing when it's easy, doing the right thing when it's hard? I realize going through this that doing the right thing is never easy, even when it's as simple as saying, "Okay, you stole from me. I forgive you. Go in peace." What is this letter doing in the Bible? It's no great theological treatise. But it does show us a softer side of Paul, the proverbial bull in the theological china shop. But this letter shows us a different side, a tender side. And I think it shows us the heart of Christ. And he is asking, he is asking uh, Philemon to forgive as he has been forgiven. And sometimes to forgive is an easy thing and sometimes to forgive is a hard thing. But I think for us it's important to remember that when forgiveness was a hard thing, Jesus still went to the cross. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. I don't have to tell you that life is not a Hallmark movie. But in the big scheme of things, in God's economy, it is. I've read the end of the book. We win. God's faithfulness is what sustains us when we go through those challenging times. And I hope you come back next week to hear the thrilling conclusion of the letter of Philemon when we look at it from the point of view of Onesimus. Sometimes we're asked, to forgive. Sometimes we have to ask for forgiveness. It's not always easy. It's often hard. But for followers of Christ, it is the right thing to do.